and welcome to the SAP Concur Conversations podcast. Each episode, we sit down with industry experts, visionaries, and leaders as they share what it takes to build forward-thinking spend programs. Our goal is to get you thinking differently about how your organization spends money. I'm Jean Dyan, and I'm the Vice President of the Value Experience Team here at SAP Concur. My team works with our customers to bring up about positive business outcomes based on data-driven insights. And today, I am joined by Chris Elmore of Avid Exchange. And we're going to talk about the evolution of the AP function and how to leverage the power of AP automation to optimize operational efficiency in your organization. Because that was easy for me to say, I guess. So, but let's get to know you a little bit, Chris, before we start in on our topic. All right. Well, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. This is great. And I'm looking forward to our dialogue. Now, I've been with Avid Exchange for 23 years, and the company has been around for 23 years. You can do the math on that. It's pretty simple. I'm not necessarily a founder of the organization. I like to say that I was kind of the first employee or an early employee, but it, it just means that I've kind of seen firsthand the whole rise of Avid Exchange and had a front row seat to um, accounting and prof- finance professionals trying to deal with this, you know, new world that we're all dealing in this new digital age. So it's been kind of interesting. A couple of other maybe background points. Uh, I work in the mergers and acquisition groups in Avid, at Avid Exchange. And also I teach at UNC Charlotte. I've been teaching, I'm a professor of entrepreneurship and innovation there. And I've written um, 12 books, eight on the accounts payable process. And if you want to clear room at a party, you tell them you've written an AP book. But I have a feeling that people uh, who uh, are listening to this podcast are like me and kind of nerd out a little bit when it comes to accounts payable. So we're all family here. Yes. Well, I am one of those nerds. Big fan. I love that you're passionate about it. Passionate enough that eight of your books are around AP. That's right. And we could write books about AP all day, but I want to get a little bit strategic about how AP works. So I've heard it said that each generation is going to bring change to the world of business. That's going to be transformational because we've built them to grow up on technology. And we've actually seen some of it in the past from agricultural to industrial base um, when technology was introduced. I've even seen some of it in my own experiences with some of the newer employees looking at some of our processes and saying, oh my God, why can't we do this a little bit better? But you really have a different viewpoint on that, if I'm not mistaken. You once said to me that at least in the AP world, we're training the next generation to do the work the way we've always done it. So I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit on that for me. Yeah, I you know, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but I have a I have a tendency to kind of look at the other way of this and you know, call it the devil's advocate or whatever, but and I and I have a colleague here at Avid Exchange that's a, a senior leader and and his notion is that uh, over time as the millennials take over they're not going to stand for these manual tasks, these paper-driven tasks. And so just by virtue of them taking over, the whole thing's going to be digitized because their lives are digital and they've grown up, just like you said. But I don't believe that at all. And there's a couple of, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, because there's a couple of base principles that I do think applies to uh, accounting and finance, especially accounts payable. And one is that the population that that does this work is risk adverse. Now, if 
if you hear something like that, it could seem like a negative, but it's absolutely a positive. And in being risk adverse, let's what's the opposite of risk adverse? You know, um, yeah. always winging reckless. it. Reckless. reckless. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> let's say you are reckless. Let's say you are a controller that had a bent on being reckless. You're not going to be a controller for long. You know, so the base concept is that it's a risk adverse population. It should be a risk adverse population. And that's a good thing. So when you take that into account, the younger generation that is that's getting their sea legs on the processes are getting trained by the older generation on this is how you do it. And so that becomes the way that you do it. And so the idea would be as as a younger generation takes over they're going to continue the old task for one very good reason. And that is they're going to have to have a really strong list of reasons why they should switch from something that actually works pretty well. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. So I think you're right. And I, I think about it in this sense. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we've grown this set of generations to be really technologically dependent, that yeah. they believe that everything is going to happen from a technology perspective. We grew them that way. We cannot, we cannot fault them for that. We actually did this to them. How many of us went to a restaurant and handed a kid a tablet so that yeah. the grownups could talk? We did yeah. this. Yeah. So we can't really fault them for it. But I start to think about the AP groups of today are starting to age out of the workforce. We're starting to see them leave and they're, they're training people into the new way of, uh, or into the way of work that they've always done it versus a new way of work. And I sometimes wonder if because we're doing this to this next generation of AP teams, are we really limiting the type of people that we're gonna be hiring or the caliber of mind that we're looking to bring into that finance and AP world. So I, I kind of challenge that in that we're hiring the same sets of people, but should we be? Should we be hiring people who have a little bit more from a strategic perspective and are taking a bigger picture view and are willing and open to have manual processes be taken up by automation? Yeah. I mean, by the way, that's, I like that. I haven't really thought about the people that are attracted to the job, um, you know, not changing and, you know, but there's all kinds of what's um, accountants never get older. They only lose their balance. You know, there's the yeah. one joke. And then, and then joke number two is why did the accountant cross the road? Is this because that's exactly what they did the same time last year, sure. you know? Yes. And then, so, so there's this, um, so there's, Falsely, there's this view of accounting people of being rigid and 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 not willing to change and uh, uncreative. That's the one that really bothers me more than anything. And then the work that I do at the university, the students that are in this um, have none of those traits. They, they are creative. They're full of ambition. They're uh, driven. They're excited about getting into to the work and getting into the workforce and making a making things happen. And when they get there, they get stopped by people who don't feel like the risk is 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 good enough. And they're and they're and they're. Uh, I don't want to use this word, but I will. But they're stymied by people saying with, that we've never done it that way. Don't rock the boat. 
If it's not broken, don't fix it. And and all of those are things that I think are are killing the younger generation for them to just say, okay, well then I'll just do it yeah. that way. Yeah. I think it ties to that whole idea with, that when something becomes the way in That's capital right. letters, the way, yeah. then it's really hard to change the way. And you can see why it kind of happens because if you were audited, every step of what you did was audited at a million times a year, whether it's a monthly audit, a quarterly audit, an internal audit, an external audit, a, an IRS audit. If you were audited consistently, you would be incredibly risk averse. It would should be, be kind of a yeah. badge of honor. Yes, you know? absolutely. I remember in, in you know, I, I remember in the middle of discussions with these teams, if you called them paranoid, they'd say, well, thank you. You know, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'll tell my family you said that. Yeah. But Gene, I wanted to go back to something that you brought up just anecdotally that I think is actually really important when it comes to technology and the view of technology in the workforce. And that is the generation that's grown up on tech. They, they haven't known a, you know, one of the things that I love so much is my, part of my personal elevator pitch is the last time I had a first date, there was no such thing as the internet and there was no cell phone. That's and, right. you know, and it wasn't so long ago, it was 30 years ago when I met my wife. And by the way, I think it needs to go on record that if my wife ever leaves me, I'm going with her. Yep. Okay. okay, here we go. <laughs> These are the jokes, folks. I put that one right in the middle of the podcast to make sure that people were listening. I but love it's, a good dad joke. It's, it's but I don't know what you're talking about, awesome. dad joke. It's a threat and a promise. <laughs> it's a threat and a promise all at the same time. I love that woman. But here's the thing that you mentioned anecdotally is that you kind of hand the kid the tablet so the grown-ups can talk. The association that the generation, the, the the technology generation that's supposed to automatically transform us into a business digital age is largely, largely based on entertainment. And so the association to technology, they've had technology their entire lives, but it's almost exclusively been wrapped around entertainment. So what happens is when they go into the workforce and I'm not going to I'm not going to be shocking anything or or, or or breaking down any barriers on this next statement, because I'm going to say that the workplace is not the most entertaining place in the world. It's a job. It's work. You know, it's not supposed to be arduous, but the, it is it is work. It's not it's not necessarily, quote unquote, all the time fun, although what we're doing right now, Gene. Is. a lot of fun. That's <laughs> probably the most fun I have at my job all the time. I'm running my mouth. I'm talking. <laughs> but the thing, but the thing is, in order for in order for the the technology generation to make that leap, they're going to have to cut the entertainment value out of the tech and then focus more on. And this is something I, I know we're going to get into. Focus more on the mission, the purpose, and the outcome of the technology, and how that's associated to the business, and how that out how that affects the business outcomes. Yeah, so I, I, that's a great segue to this next thing that I was going to ask because if I'm thinking, if I make the assumption, if I agree with your assumption that the next generation really is not going to save us by highly automating those manual processes. Who's the right group that's we're going to be looking to for changes to process within an organization? I mean, wouldn't the people who do the work daily be the right people to make those changes? Because they're the experts at what they do. Is Are we looking at the right group to bring in change? 
Yeah. And I'm not going to make any friends on this one, but I got to say it. And that is the, that people in my experience now I've had close to 9,000 conversations with these, with these groups about this topic. And by and large, the clear assumption in their mind is because they know accounts payable, they do know accounts payable automation. And that's actually false. And, and, and here's the thing, folks, at the sound of my voice, if first of all, if that irritates you, I'm, I, I do apologize for that, but it is my job here to make everyone mad. Um, that way we'll go viral. No, it's not my job to do that. But, it, it, but, but here's the thing is that let me give you a key indicator that you're actually in the middle of this. And, and that is if you're talking about things like how does it get coded? How does it get approved? What's the dependencies of the codes and who approves it? If you're having conversations like that with your service provider, you're not talking about the right things. Now, it's important to get your arms around that from a feature set, but those are not the thing those are not the things that will make the decision. Those are not the reasons why you should decide it if it's easy to code, if it's easy to approve, if it has flexibility in the approval process. You need all of those things, but those aren't the reasons why you need to do this. It always frustrates me when I get an RFP because on the RFP they list all of these features out. And they they and, and, and I'll tell you this, Gene, there's only so many ways that you can digitize an invoice, put it into an approval process and present it to an accounting system. They're all going to look really similar. Yeah. So the the question is, why are they different? Maybe this is a good time for you to I mean, what makes them different? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny you say that because I've watched hundreds of customers take their expense process that was sitting on an Excel spreadsheet and just translate it into an, a quote, automated system because that's how they always did it. And they're not looking to actually look at it from a strategic perspective of what could we do better? How could we make this work more efficiently or effectively? How do we make the technology work for us rather than us work for the technology? So to your point, if you're sitting there talking about how do I code this invoice? And, uh, you know, well, 20% of my invoices don't follow this workflow. So what am I going to do with those? Or how do I make sure, ensure that um, what I've always done uh, manually is going to get done electronically. And so I'm going to watch every single line item as it comes through just to make sure that the technology is doing its job. You've totally missed the point of the exercise, That's which right. is really to reimagine or envision change that affects the entire corporation, not just the tactical day to day. But what is happening? You're looking at this from a, I have to look at every line item. I have to do everything because my job is on the line if I don't, rather than thinking about what if I spent 90% of my time on 5% of the problems, the problems that really matter and spend yeah. instead of spending 90% of my time on 100% of every single line item of which only a small fraction will be a problem. What could I reimagine in the system? What could I do in addition to what I'm doing now that would add value to the to the company overall, that would add value to the bottom line, that would add efficiency to the process, that makes it easier for everybody to work. And I think that's where we get caught up. That's where people get tripped up in looking at automation of AP. It's not just taking what you do by paper. 
That's and right. making it electronic, it is actually reimagining your entire system. So that's the hardest part because you, you, you've now got to go to a professional who has maybe 10, 15, 20 years on this same process. And the process is their baby. I have a thing that says you should never tell them their baby's ugly. You know, yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't roll in there and say, oh, you're, you're messed up, you know, three ways to Sunday on this thing. You can't do that because these are their processes and, and by and large, they work. And so the thought is, it's, it's so difficult for a human being to take an objective look at something that they've known for 15 years mm -hmm. and they develop themselves. And now I'll, I'll give you a little, if someone wants to do additional research, we study this in my class. It's called the curse of knowledge. We talked yes. about this in our prep. And the thing, the reason why the curse of knowledge is interesting is because one, it's both uh, a psychological condition and an economic condition. It can kind of be studied either way and it has applications both way. I say that because it's, tr I'm trying to make myself sound really smart to SAP concur, but the curse of not thank you the curse of knowledge is a really simple fundamental principle which says the people who are doing the work and are closest to the work are the ones that are least likely to innovate yep and now and we have personal experience of this at avid exchange because we can uh, hopefully this isn't hopefully this is okay is that we <laughs> we ultimately created an accounts payable application and nobody knew anything about accounts payable because our customers over the years pulled us in that direction and we found ourselves in that we, right we're right there so what we had to do is it forced us to get feedback from over 200 companies on how to do this thing mm -hmm. and it created a really flexible application in its wake but my students are always shocked when I tell them things like that because they think in order to create something, you have to know everything about it. And that's actually false. Is that the curse of knowledge, it has you stay in these invisible lanes that are so paralyzing that it's really hard to look outside of them. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because you're looking at the tactical. You're looking yep. at the day-to-day. -day. You're not looking at what could be. So we're actually looking at continuing to look at green ledger pads that we've just moved on to a, a screen of some sort, you know, and we're looking at the DOS like entry screens that are going in and we're still looking at cabinets full of paper because we don't trust the scanning machines and we're not really looking or moving to that age of the futurist where, you know, we've got flying cars and robot maids and true exception handling and AP. None of that is happening because you we're not able to the do Jetsons. that. Yeah, the yes, <laughs> I did because <laughs> I'm that old. Uh, but that that's what it is, right? I mean, that's it's not we understand what the problem is. We understand how to move ourselves, but yet we cannot make ourselves move forward. In the, in the scheme of things, automation really is the same for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing new about the automation we're talking about. I think you had mentioned to me once about when you're looking at automation, it's the same for everyone. It has to be driven by your mission or your purpose or your outcome. Yeah. So when you're concentrating on that tactical, you're never going to be successful because your mission is never tactical. It's yes. always lofty. It's always strategic in a way. Well, and 
in, in so I'm glad you brought that up because I'm I'm desperate to get to let's talk about what to do about it. So now yes, we kind of yeah, yeah was, uh, <laughs> I'm t I've taken over the podcast, Gene. Let's talk no, about what to do about it. Yeah, it's now it's exactly and, where we were going. <laughs> I mean, and in there's a set. Of, I hope hopefully there's been some some thought provoking things that we've said in the inspiration side of this and in you know some motivated things and hopefully when you hear Gene and I talk about you know, the issues or the problems there, it's, it's more to kind of tell you you're not alone because we, I go from company to company to company and all these companies have tons of paper and they're like, don't tell anybody that we're this far behind. And I'm like, you know what? You're all like that. Everyone's like that. The percentage of people that are fully automated are just low Small. and it really is. And so, and so I'm glad you brought up the, you know, the, and so what do you do about it? And so here's my answer to that. My answer is you do have to focus on the mission, outcome, and purpose of the technological initiative, whether it's uh, accounts payable automation, Salesforce automation, marketing automation. And I, I got I get a lot of inspiration from manufacturing who they, they've already kind of figured this out and they have, you know, Six Sigma and lean process and all of these things that kind of back up their need to automate. And so if you if you think about mission, purpose, and outcome, what is it supposed to do? And then here's the loop. The loop is real simple. Okay. The best outcome in any automation, accounts payable or anything else, is that it it frees up time. And that that that's its best outcome. That's it, that's its product. You know, it could have a financial ROI to it, but its real reality is that the organization is going to get a certain amount of time out of that. Let's call that 5,000 hours. I mean, this is something that's just standard in, in, in my world. So if I'm talking to an accounting department, I'm talking to them in terms of how are you going to invest that 5,000 hours? Now, the word investment is really important. How are you going to invest that 5,000 hours? And then when you make that investment, and, and it, maybe I could say it even simpler. If, if I give you 5,000 hours, which, which projects are not getting done that should be getting done? And when those new projects get done, how is that going to affect the company? And then right. who in the company is going to be excited about that effect at the highest level? And then lastly, this is the most important. How is that going to affect your career? So where are you going to invest it? How's that going to affect the company? Who at the highest level is going to get excited about that? And then how's that going to make you look? Yeah. That is whole mission, purpose, and outcome. Yeah. That's a real futurist view, right? Because I think a lot of AP departments, I can say this having worked in many of them, um, automation typically brings the fear of losing a job. That's right. And it really doesn't work that way. Automation typically brings you a better job. That's it right. It doesn't take anything away. It actually expands your horizons and gives you a chance for future growth. And yeah. so I, I think that whole idea of focusing on mission, purpose, outcome is really the only way to make these kind of AP automation plays successful for everyone in the organization, not yeah. just the vendors who might be getting paid better or faster or quicker or um, somebody who doesn't have to put in as many journal entries because the coding's done. There's There's a broad purpose that comes with this. So yeah. I love that viewpoint. 
It's by the way, it's a pencil and paper exercise. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, let's hire a bunch of consultants. I know I'm pissing off all the consultants now. <laughs> it's not, it's not hire a bunch of consultants. It's not like, let's get into a, a room and brainstorm. It's not a whiteboard exercise. It's not a whiteboard with sticky notes exercise. What's some other things that corporate America does that drives me crazy. Murals. You know, it's a pencil to paper. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's an, it's, it's an imaginary exercise and it's not an event either. It's a process, you know, it's an ongoing thing is that, you know, what, what, how am I going to spend my 5,000 hours? How much, how much, by the way, yours might be 10,000 hours. How am I going to spend my 10,000 hours? And it's a, it's a real pencil and paper exercise and it, it, it doesn't need to be more than that. And that's what the best results come from. And I'll, I'll tell you just to back up your, what you said is that in, 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 I deal a lot in my class with history because history has the a tendency to give you the whole view in 1900, the loom industry was uh, automated 90%. And the thing was, did jobs go up for looms or did jobs go down? Now, traditionally, you would think if 90% of the work was automated, the, there'd be all these loom workers that were out of jobs. But the reality is it went way up because what happened was the automation reduced the cost to produce the fabric and people started using fabric in different ways and it opened up brand new markets. And therefore, even though you had to do 10% of the job, they just needed more people to do 10% of the job. The jobs were easier and they paid more too. And they required more intellect. Automation has a tendency to do that over and over and over and over again. It forces you to go on to things that are more important. That's why I use the word, if I give you 5,000 hours, how are you going to invest it? Right. Well, you know, it, it reminds me of your loom example, reminds me of the whole conversation around artificial intelligence and how people are so afraid that artificial intelligence is going to place, replace them. And yeah. you said something really interesting to me. It was that artificial intelligence wasn't going to replace that person, but a person using artificial intelligence would replace right. that other person. I think it's, it ties right exactly to that loom example. We've seen this happen before. We become a better, faster, stronger organization for it. Yeah. And so I think it's just a place to go. And you mentioned something about, you know, this is a paper and pencil exercise. That's right. And I would say you're going to see what you need to do in that first 5,000 hours, right? right? And you're going to get that done. Then there's going to be that second round. This is iterative. This type of change becomes iterative. It's a cycle of innovation. It's a cycle of reinvention. It's not just, well, I've found my 5,000 hours and then I'm just going to keep doing this 5,000 hours and I'm going to keep doing what I was doing. It allows you and frees you to then continue to work on that more important work of strategic oversight and strategic viewpoints of how you can continually improve. I always like to say that this type of project, an AP automation project, is really just continuous finance improvement because it's going to drip into every part of the finance organization, which in turn will then drip into every part, as you pointed out, every other part of the organization, because finance is the beating heart and the rest of the organization will gain that circulation from that beating heart. So we have to keep moving forward. 
Yeah, it's a habit. And really, if you think about it, we're not just talking about accounts payable automation. We're talking about any technology that any company consumes, mission, purpose, and outcome. If it's cool, if it's cool, that's fine. But I, I need to know it's mission, purpose, and outcome. If it's really neat, okay, that's good. But I'm always shocked on how many people buy on cool and neat. You know, and it's yeah. got to go beyond that. And that and that's that thing that will permeate through the entire organization. It's a habit on and I have a saying. Hopefully the saying will hit, but it kind of encompasses this whole we probably should print up a bunch of t-shirts. But it, my the saying is that technology is only as good as the people that it serves. And you know, it's it's gotta have that human impact element to it, or else it's just pretty, pretty much useless. Okay. So if you're gonna print those up. Should we just post them out here and let people order online? I, I would, and I'm going to put a, a a Sasquatch on the back, says I okay. believe. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Chris, for sharing all your insights with us. I, this was really fantastic. Um, and I'd like to encourage everybody, if they can, to go out and take a look for Chris's work. I think uh, for those of us who are AP nerds, his books are fantastic, and I think you're going to get a lot out of them. Uh, so thank you again for joining us. I hope we can have you back another time. I'm a, you ask, I'm going to come back. And so anytime, anywhere, it was it was absolutely my pleasure. And then the only caveat that I say is that next time you have me on the podcast, we have to do it live in Charleston at okay. your favorite restaurant, which is, right. which is what is? Oh, gosh. Vern's. Vern's. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We'll invite everyone to Vern's. Okay. We'll be there. You and me both. We'll get them shut down and we'll bring an audience in. I love it. Well, and I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode as well. We really appreciate you tuning into the SAP Concur Conversations podcasts to hear more exclusive insight and interviews from the world of business, travel, expense, and invoice processing. Be sure to subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcasts. And please join us for our next SAP Concur Conversation. <laughs>